The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live and to Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. Nancy, can you turn? There's Miss Nancy. How are you? Hi, Shannon. How are you? I'm good. How's every little thing? Every little thing is, you know, moving along. I'm 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 just gonna keep it real and go, I'm totally lying. I'm frazzled. I'm, you know, I'm I'm a little bit crazy at the moment. I'm uh, I'm like second guessing whether I sent the code to the person who was going to be on the show this morning. So uh, and and so much has already happened by this point in the morning that I feel like today has already been a week long. And you, Nancy, where are you on this? I'm the same way. And I got to get better lighting on this because I'm backlit. You've got good lighting. Well, I have one of those uh, fancy schmancy ring lights. Oh, you do? I do. And I recommend that anybody who is going to do any podcasting or video casting or anything gets one. Um, You know, mine is covered with little post-it notes right now because that's what I'm doing to make sure I have so many projects going right now that I've covered mine with uh, post-it notes. I could, otherwise I would turn around my camera around so that you could see it. But um, like, for instance, if you look at what they're doing for the Emmys that are happening um, this weekend, they sent each and every person who is nominated a little ring light um, to stick behind their computer so that they would be well lit. You can get them on Amazon and they come in different sizes. They have little teeny ones that are just for your phone. Um, I think I have a 10 inch, there are eight inch ones. And it's just, um, and usually they come with their own tripod. I, I bought one and sent it to my nephew not long ago. And I think I spent $40 on okay. it. Okay. So, yeah. I definitely yeah. need better lighting. This I do this show from my bedroom because it's the only place that I have privacy. And we love the the dogs in the background. So you like that? yeah, we do. I do this uh, from, we have this uh, small back room, which is normally where we keep the dog. Right. Right. And and so that's, I've taken up, we have the piano back here. Um, and so I can't play the piano or I play a tune for you. Uh, By the way, we had, speaking yeah. of tunes, we had a birthday celebration for you. Yes. On Tuesday night. And it was a karaoke party and you can really sing, Shannon. Oh, thank you. That I, You say that, but that's craziness. You but you, I, so can you, and you sang, tell them what you sang. I sang Lady Marmalade by Patti LaBelle. And you you did Etta James, and I have to say you did it last, and it was incredible. Well, thank you. That's my song for my husband. That's our song, and I sing it to him. Most of the songs I sing, I sing either to my husband or my son. So, um, and I, 
Singing for me is a great, great joy. I love to sing, but I have been told on many occasions that it's a private thing, that I should keep it to myself. <laughs> I, I went off to college and I thought, I, at last I'm gonna take, get to take singing lessons. And I, I took voice one and passed. And the teacher said at the end, he's like, well, you know, it's loud and, uh, and you can sing. No one would ever mistakenly say that it's pretty, but <laughs> that was- that was I his critique. Have, I disagree. I think you have an amazing voice. I'm turning this around. Well, thank you. Um, thank you for saying that. That That is, you know, that when, um, what was it, two years ago, because uh, you and I were going to do uh, a show together. You and I were going to yes, do, yes. Um, and first, because each of us was working on something separately, and then we thought we would try to do it together. And it was it was kind of bad timing for you. And it was uh, critical timing for me. And I have always said that you were such a good friend because you gave me your blessing and said, go do your thing on your own. Right. Um, but part of part of my, I always say that you should have um, clear, clear things in your mind, what, clear goals in your head of what you're trying to achieve before you set out doing something big. And of course, uh, Cameron Mannheim, who I had the pleasure of getting to interview two years ago, she had done a one woman show years back and talked about it and said, you know, I was, she'd made some money uh, doing a movie and decided she was going to do a one woman show specifically for three reasons. And she was very clear in her head. She wanted to get an agent. She wanted to get a boyfriend and she wanted to show people what she could do. And she was like, I just knew that those were the three things and that she got those three things from doing a one woman show. How did so, she get the boyfriend from doing a one woman show? I'm curious about cause, that. Because, you know, when you put yourself out there creatively, I mean, creativity is, it, it's attractive. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, when you put yourself out there creatively, first of all, you can be seen, which gives people opportunity. And then there's a certain amount of socialization that comes um, with, I was not doing a one woman show to get a boyfriend. I want to be abundantly clear about that. <laughs> but I went to a bunch of different parties and you talk to people. And if you were looking, I'm sure you could find that kind of thing. I was not looking for that. But I, I had three things that I really wanted to do. I wanted to force myself to sing publicly. So there was music in it. And I start the show by singing acapella. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I always say acapoco, so it's acapella. Um, but uh, so I wanted to force myself to sing publicly and I wanted my son to see that I was funny. And I wanted to take some of the things that I was the most emotional about being a parent of someone on the autism spectrum and put it into something that I could look at that had the potential to be positive, right? So uh -huh. I wanted to put a positive spin on some of my pain. And, um, but the, but so I forced myself to sing publicly, which was a huge gift. But the one that was the most meaningful to me was that my son could see um, that I'm a funny person because my son, my lovely, wonderful, hilarious son did not believe that I was funny. And we had been on a plane. It was shortly after my mother died. And he, um, Traven, I'm trying to get the, the link to send to our guest because I don't think she has the link and I can't do it while we're doing the show. Could you please send that to her for me? Um, but I, um, we were on a plane and the plane was taking off and I was getting nervous as the plane takes off. And I was talking with my son and I was trying to lighten the mood. You know how you do. And, and I was trying to get him to laugh. 
And, but it was more to keep myself calm than him. And so I was saying something to make, and he, make him laugh. And he said, mom, just stop. You think you're funny, but you're not. And it cut me like Harry Carey cut me to the quick. I was like, what are, and the plane is taxiing. And I got really loud, as you know, I can do. And I was like, what do you mean I'm not funny? I'm the funniest person you've ever met. And I happen to be your mother. And he was like, but you're not, mom, you're not funny. And I was like, you don't know. Who else do you know that has a plaque in the shape of a state that says they're the funniest person in that state? And he was like, well, not you. And I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> I have a plaque that says that I am the funniest person in a state, in the shape of that state. And he was like, why What state was that? Iowa. I mean, okay. you know, and I did a contest there and, and won. And I got a plaque in the shape of the state. I realize it's Iowa and that's, you know, it's not like it's Paris or, you know, or New York or, you know, but it's Iowa. I'm, I'm the funniest person. A lot of people that. live in Iowa. You know, and some of them are funny and I was the funniest that year. That's the only year I entered. Anyway, um, uh, yes, I do want you to let her in. But anyway, uh, so, and he didn't believe me. He didn't believe me that I had this plaque and I had to fish it out of the garage when we got back. And so there we are. Uh, and, and, but he saw the show. Hey, Leah, I'm just finish a, Hi, Leah. Uh, finishing a story. So uh, he saw the show. And the most fun thing for me was after one of the shows on the sidewalk, a bunch of people were standing around talking and I could overhear him and somebody was saying something and he said, isn't my mom funny? And mm. I went, tick that box, tick that box. Anyway, I told that. Yes, yes, absolutely. So that was good. Okay, so we have Leah Hirschfeld here with us. And uh, she is amazing. And she's a, a regular here on the show. She joins us sometimes on Fridays, and we took the month of August off. But uh, she's here with us now. Leah, tell us a little bit about you and what you do. Yeah, of course. Um, well, thank you guys so much for having me. It is my pleasure. It, I always it's such a highlight for my month. Um, whenever I get to come on. So I'm very excited to be here. Um, so I'm a research coordinator here at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. And what that means is that I'm super fortunate um, and I get to spend my day looking at data and analyzing trends. I run research studies. I answer research questions that come from our caregivers, that come from our clinicians um, and all with the hope to better serve our families and our patients. Um, so. I feel pretty fortunate. It's pretty fun. And then I get to come on here and read awesome articles and talk to you ladies and everyone it, else. So. It's super fun for us because uh, even later on in the show, we're going to uh, cover some news stories. And it always involves, not always, but a lot of times it involves um, research. And Nancy and I try to pick through it as parents. And that's often hilarious, but not accurate. <laughs> yeah, the uh, stories we have, the stories we have today are are particularly uh, dense, I might yes. add. And we try, and so we just sort of skim over them and go, look, there's research about this. You might want to go look at it for yourselves. Right. So to have someone of your caliber here to delve in on, on specific subjects is, is a really cool thing for us. So what are we talking about today, madam? Absolutely. And I, I'll, before I do that, I don't think you guys give yourselves enough credit. Um, you both are incredible. So I'm sure your new segment is, you guys go through your research fantastically. But you might want to stick around and hear us slaughter yeah. some names. Exactly. Oh, I slaughter the names too. I was just about to say, I'm about to slaughter one now. Um, okay. So um, 
I, I always try to find, you know, either something I think is going to be really relevant to the, to your audience and or um, something that just came out that I think will be cool. Um, so this article came out this month, September 2020. Um, this is an article from this journal called Autism Research, and I've presented other stuff from that journal. I really like them. Um, I think their paradigms are really lovely. They have a lay abstract, which means like for non-research folks, it goes into nice, easy, digestible language. So I think it's a really accessible journal. Um, and so this one I'll butcher uh, from Mindy Ruin and her team at West Virginia University. They also worked with California Institute of Technology. Um, and this article is called Deep Neural Networks Reveals the World of Autism from a First Person Perspective. Yeah, great title, right? Like amazing yeah. title. Uh, they have all of the right words. Um, and so I, the article's amazing, really interesting. I also like that it's about deep neural networks. There's a lot of cool things going on with deep neural networks. I am by no means an expert on that. Um, but what I'm, even I'm, is it? Do we even know what a deep neural network is? Is there a shallow neural network? <laughs> um, it's so funny you say that because I, I, my husband's actually a PhD in neuroscience. So I was talking to him and he could tell you more about this, but he was like, we don't even know what it is. And I was like, okay, great. This oh, is okay. fantastic. Um, but if you're not talking to a PhD who's a neuroscientist, my understanding of a deep neural network is that it's a very intense computer program kind of. So basically they're, you know, very, very bright people who speak language of computers, who, who can code, um, develop this model in a computer and the model is really, really smart. And the model can take some examples and then extrapolate out to additional novel new examples. So you might say, you might feed this model 10 pictures of a car, right? So you give them a Porsche and a Honda and an Audi and um, a Toyota and keep going, right? And then you give, and you give that all and you say, okay, model, this is a car. This is also a car. This is also a car. Hey, this is a car too. And then uh, your 11th picture, you say, okay, this is now a blue, you know, you, you feed it a blue uh, brand I didn't name, I don't know, um, uh, a blue Volkswagen. And you say, okay, model, I haven't told you anything about this. What is this? And then you hope that your model says that's a car, even though it's not seen that actual car before, right? But now it can say, okay, you have four wheels, you're not huge, you're kind of like compact, right? Because you don't want a truck, right? So, you know, and, and whatnot. And then it can say that model is really smart and say, that's a car. So basically, uh, yeah, go for so it. So can I ask, so so basically we're talking about a computer getting to the point where it can generalize. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, yeah basically. Okay. Yeah. That, and that's okay. my understanding. You you might have a neuroscientist watching this and be like, Leah, you don't, and I am not an expert on deep neural, neural networks. You also see that as DNN. I'm not an expert on that, um, but that's my understanding of kind of these really intense, complicated- But we're ones. talking about a computer, not a brain. Yes, exactly. Okay, yeah. all right. Yeah, we're talking about a very smart computer that can generalize. That's exactly right. kind of where we're going. Yeah, exactly. Okay, all cool. right. Now I, now I have an idea of, of two of the words in the title. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I was really excited about this because exactly what you're talking about, Chan, right? Like okay, great, this has the sexy words we keep seeing, deep neural networks, and it also says it's gonna tell me about the world of autism from a first person perspective. That sounds amazing. And I will say, I'm really excited to share this. I got really giddy. Um, <laughs> so right. one of the things the researchers are trying to understand is how do individuals with autism perceive the world around them from their perspective? 
And we know some things, right? We know that people with autism show atypical, when you're comparing to neurotypical individuals, atypical attention to visual features. So that means, right, you have reduced attention to human faces, to human voices, to hand gestures. And we've seen that individuals with autism pay more attention to non-social objects and really seem to pay attention to gadgets and devices and electronics. Okay, cool. We know that. Um, but we've seen that a lot in really lab settings, right? You put someone in front of a computer, you say, what's that non-social stimuli? You track their eye gazes, all these things. And so this group was really trying to get out of that laboratory setting and making more, make it more natural. And I love this research because I think it's really a clean study. And what I mean is it's not super convoluted with their methods. Um, so what they had was they had participants with autism and typically developing peers come as participants. And they matched on gender and race and education. And then they gave all the participants a camera and asked them to take photos. Off the bat, right, one of the things I like to come on here is, you know, research is really cool and research can be done amazingly. And even the best research can have flaws. So yeah. off the bat, you're going to see that this is a limitation because every participant had to be able to use a camera. And that excludes some of the people we know who have autism and whatnot. So Good off the point. bat, we know, yeah, off the bat, we know these, part these participants do not span all of the range of the spectrum of autism. Um, but so they give them a camera and they asked to take pictures and they gave some instructions. So they had what they called three blocks, basically three groups of photos that they're trying to get people to take. And the first one is people. So they had two members of their lab sitting around the lab and they instructed participants to take pictures of those individuals. And they said, you know, pose them, talk to them, whatnot. Um, and people took pictures, great. That was the people block. Then in the same space, they said, okay, now we want you to just take pictures of the indoor space, take pictures of objects, whatever you want in this indoor space. That's the second one, people, indoor. And then they took everyone outside and said, take pictures of whatever you want outside, walk around our lovely campus, take pictures of people, of objects, whatever you want outside. So they took people inside and outdoors, right? And so, the idea here is that these photographs will help understand um, someone's point of view and that these photographs will reflect what's visually important to the photographer and reflect how they interact with their environment. So they're putting a lot of stake into these into these photographs, but it makes sense. You can kind It's of interesting it. at the very least because yeah. to to be able to see we're always wanting aren't we Nancy uh, you know I always used to say in a very loving way not a violent way I wanted to open my son's head and be able to walk around and see what he could see. Yeah. So, you know, perspective so this, is very, I mean, I think we all want perspective into the autistic brain. Yes. Okay. So what, so they took the pictures. Yeah. What did exactly. we find? Great. Um, I love this. It's just, uh, you guys are so amazing. Um, yeah. So before you say exactly what they found, um, they also, so this is where this deep neural network comes in, remember? So right. they, they fed these pictures to two different people, I'm going to say, but one's not a people, one's a computer. So they took a bunch of experts, autism, ASD experts. So they're clinicians and they can diagnose and they know a lot about autism. And they gave them the photographs and they didn't tell them if who took them. Um, and they said on a, on a nine point scale, rate if you think this photograph was taken by someone with autism or not, with, or someone without, you know, without autism. So that was the first group. And then they fed those pictures to this model, right? To this deep neural network. And they, again, so kind of explaining briefly what a deep neural network, and this is my very rudimentary 
understanding. I am not a neuroscientist. Um, but the, my understanding is they gave the model about 60% of their pictures. And they said, hey, this was taken by someone with autism. This wasn't, this was, this wasn't, this was, this wasn't. Okay, now I'm going to give you a new picture. You've never seen this. But with the knowledge that you have computer, tell me, do you think this was taken by someone with autism or without? And they did that for a number of their pictures, right? And so what they found was that the model, that computer, was able to effectively determine if a photo was taken by an individual with autism and actually outperformed the experts. Um, and they did, they, the model did better if it was a photo with people versus those indoor and outdoor photos. Could still do it with the indoor and outdoor photos, but did it more, more frequently um, with better accuracy when it was people. Um, and the ASD experts, not so much. Um, and before I kind of get into those implications, you're like, that's cool, but so what, right? Mm -hmm. No, well, I'm not feeling that way at all. I have a bunch of questions. I do. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so does at some point, is the computer, the, the deep neural network, is it able to say, here's why, here are the patterns that we saw? Yeah, um, so that's exactly my next point. Oh, Shannon, amazing. Yeah, amazing. So yes. the model is really cool because the model can also say, hey, this is why I thought this. And so what they said, what, what, they, well, what it said, what the computer said was um, it classified a photo taken by participants with ASD if the photo was of a, a subject's back, if the subject in the photo was not very expressive, if the subject in the photo was not posed or did not look at the camera, if the photo had an odd visual perspective, if the photo was blurry and if the photo had a, a rich facial expression and a regular what what was considered regular right regular angle of view then it said that's great neurotypical individual um so you know some of this isn't so surprising it, it basically is kind of saying our participants with autism have a social deficit it seems like and this isn't surprising this we kind of know um but to me what's so exciting as it is that this is potentially being shown through photos, which I don't know, this clicked for me. Like I, I know people with individuals with autism have a social deficit, but for, for me, I'm like, okay, what does that mean? Does that mean I just like need to remind you to look at someone's eyes or, or what? Um, and to me, this really showed potentially that this is their perspective and their perspective is that they want to interact maybe, but that, that, that's not what the way that we would think about neurotypical individuals would think about interacting is not necessarily the way that they think about interacting. And what's even cooler to me is that this research is meeting individuals with autism at their level. We're not trying to come in and change it or, or put them into a lab or anything. We just take some photos and let's see what we can see from your photos, from your perspective. And this to me was several things. One, I think it, 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 it speaks larger to this idea of like, we're kind of coming to try to understand individuals with autism's perspectives rather than necessarily change. And also to me, this, this was interesting because this to me was something, you know, you could see showing an elementary school class a bunch of photos and saying, this is how your peers with autism see the world. These are the photos they took and see how this is different. And it's not that. Yeah, let me. Can I interrupt yeah, you? Yeah. Was there a specific age range of the participants that they gave the cameras to? I don't. I so I didn't have the actual age range in the paper, but it was much older than. Um, it, it it seemed to be about like 
young adults um because mm-hmm. they gave the mean age and then the sd so i think the mean age was in their 20s but then the difference was quite large it was plus or minus about nine years so i think you've got you've got young oh sorry older teens to like mid-20s i think was 10 to be the age of the participants Okay. So, so here's my thing where I, I, two things. First, I would love for this uh, deep neural network to now be fed a bunch of masterpiece artworks um, because I would want to see what it says because just from what you said, it, it, how it determined which was which, for me, I would classify that as who was following rigid rules about society and who was artistic. Mm-hmm. Not autistic, artistic. I, you know, I take photographs and I'm not a great photographer. The best photograph I have ever taken, the one that people go, oh, that's the one, was a picture of my son walking away from me, not with his face. So your deep neural network might have said that that was a, a picture by someone on the, I would argue that that's the artistic, not autistic, artistic. A, a, a really interesting viewpoint that doesn't get fit into a box. So I would love to see what would happen if we fed all of the great masterpieces. Like, what would they say about Rembrandt? What would they say about Van Gogh? What would they say about Picasso? I have a feeling it would say that they are all on the spectrum. Or even better yet, Shannon, feed them photographs from great photographers that have been yes. award-winning photographs, you know, that maybe yeah. aren't in the mainstream, like Man Ray, for example. Yeah. Something like yeah, that. I have a feeling that, uh, so I, and I just want to keep that in mind because I think it tells us about our social rules mm-hmm. um, and who's following the social rules, but I don't want to leave out that maybe that's, uh, you know, we want people to be able to do what they want to do, but I don't want to leave out that it might, just like when you have one sense that's, if you can't hear that other senses are that your, your sense of touch and vision is highlighted, maybe, you know, maybe that is also true for people with, maybe they have more of an artistic set because we certainly see some beautiful artists that are on the autism spectrum. It's very oh, interesting. Oh yeah, and I, I'll, I'll throw in too, they have some of those photos that they that were ASD versus none. And one of them is taken from the ground. And I was like, this is a stunning photograph, totally <laughs> stunning, it, it, you know, but weird, weird angle, what, whatnot, but super interesting stuff. Super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I interrupted you. What else did you want to say about this? No, no, that, I mean, this is, that was basically it. Like, this is super interesting because I think like you're saying, this is coming. It's not about changing their perspective. It's really about understanding it. And I think photographs is a great way to do that. It's amazing medium that, you know, again, to me, I know social deficits is a, is, is a category in, in when you get diagnosed with autism, I know that, but what does that really mean? And I think these photographs can really help understand that. And I think, you know, deep neural networks is very, very new. And to me also, it's very sexy and I love hearing about it, but I always wondered how will that be used, right? In autism research. And so you could see this being used, like you're saying, you could see this being used as, you know, a potential kind of tool for for, um, clinicians to use. You could see this being used in a lot of different ways um, and there's a lot, I mean, I can go into also limitations about the research, but I just love that this research, and I think what we're seeing in a lot of the autism field is, you know, really meeting people at where they're at and not trying to, 
change necessarily. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just understand it more um, instead. And and wouldn't that be a beautiful world? Like, I just, I got really excited. No, I think that that's a really... Does it reach any conclusions then overall? Um, I mean, it kind of does, but those conclusions are ones we, we already kind of understand. Um, or have seen in other research. So mostly about social deficits. Um, they were saying that, you know, because their model had more, better accuracy with the photos of people versus indoor and outdoor, um, they're saying, you know, some of the things that they came away with photos taken of people may be the most relevant to determine the differences between individuals with and without autism. Kind of, again, makes some sense here with those social deficits that we're seeing. Um, and then I, again, there are some limitations about the participants. I don't know about um, exactly what instructions were given about how to use a camera. So it could always be, you know, those individuals with autism just didn't have as much experience with the camera and just tilted it all the time because this is how they thought they should hold it. Who? I'm not 100% sure. I don't think that's what, ha- what happened. That's a pretty glaring, that would be a pretty glaring limitation, but it doesn't include those instructions so i'm not 100 sure what those instructions were given to the participants um, for me the takeaway is that individuals who are on the autism spectrum visually care about different things than those yep. of us who aren't and that a computer with a deep neural network can point it out yeah. uh, and that that's pretty interesting uh, i think we all would have assumed that because of what we've seen in our lives that individuals on, we just had Michael uh, uh, Tolleson Robles Mm. on yesterday, who is an autistic savant painter. Mm. Um, And I, you know, look at his paintings and he sees color in a way that is Mm. so exciting that I don't see with my eye, but when he sees it, I go, yes, how could I have not have seen that a white horse has a rainbow of colors in it? I don't see that. My brain doesn't see that, but his does. So I think we all sort of have have known on some level that what is visually interesting to us is not what is visually interesting to our kids. Like Nancy, you know, Wyatt loves water and, (laughs) and, and, and I, you know, and Wyatt is a painter and I know he sees colors in water that I don't see. Right. Um, And when it's being splashed, he sees colors in that that are stimulating to him. And I don't see that. Um, so it, this all makes sense, but the fact that a computer can pick it out is cool because that they can pick it out with other things, maybe. Yeah, it's it's just the beginning here, and and just like you're saying, I mean, I think I think to that point, right? Like we understand why it might be seeing different colors, but if you could show that to his peers in a in a way that makes sense, right? Okay, this is the photo he took, or something like that. Um, yeah. Then, right? Like then we could kind of bridge that gap here of. Let's understand. Yeah. And now, now you're talking in, in, in my, in my world, because I think that's what the arts do Mm. when I'll tell you something, Nancy, whenever I'm talking about Wyatt to anyone, the first thing I say is let me show you something Wyatt has painted, Mm. because I think once you see what Wyatt can paint, you can't unsee that. Right. You can't like you, you know, I think that people walk by people every day on the spectrum, not on the spectrum and have no idea who they are. But you show, I always show people two different paintings of Wyatt's. I show them the one that he did at a building that's reminiscent of an O'Keefe. And I show them that multimedia one that he did that's just, and, and they look at it and they go, oh my gosh, this young man is a genius. 
And, and I don't think you can ever look at Wyatt in the same way once you see what he contains. And right. I think that's true of so many people. Mm-hmm. Um, when you see what, what, what their heart and their brain are trying to say, you can't, um, there's another friend of ours, Nancy, and I was just talking about him the other day that is largely nonverbal. He maybe has five spoken words in his vocabulary. And it was actually at Wyatt's birthday party that his father said to me, have you ever read some of his texts, this young man? And I said, I didn't know that he could text. This is a, mm-hmm. this is a guy that I have five words that I can use to converse. And he's, he's a beautiful human being. And he conveys a lot with those five words and with his body. But I read his texts and I was like, who knew that all of this was going on inside him? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it makes it hard to ignore their humanity when you can see into their world. Right. Um, and I think that that's a really exciting thing. So um, so now new takeaway, we need to get our kids more involved in photography and art and painting and writing, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is the arts. We've always right. said that it's the arts, the arts, the arts. Right. And um, they have obviously a unique perspective that those on the spectrum don't have. Yes. And, and thank goodness for their perspective. We need mm-hmm. their perspective. Absolutely. All right. So uh, while we were talking, uh, we got a bunch of requests for a bunch of research. Great. I love that. It makes my yes. job honestly easier. Okay. So let's start up here at the top. Um, somebody wants to know, I have a question about stem cell transplants for autism. There are people making big claims about this. Do you have any information about this? And also they want to know about gut health claims. Is it snake oil, uh, so to speak? So I know that, uh, what, three years ago, Autism Speaks got a ginormous grant to do a bunch of research on guts and uh, gut health. And I haven't heard much about that. Have you, Nancy? Have you heard anything that is- No, I haven't. I haven't heard what the outcome of that research was. So that might be a really fun thing to hear from you if, if you can find that, uh, Leah, and tell us what, um, if, they've, if they've had any outcomes, because they should at this point, as much money, it's three years later, they should have something to talk to us about. But also the stem cell, I will tell you that we've been very careful on Autism Live and have only covered um, stem cell for about three seconds as we were talking to uh, a parent about uh, doing that with their child. Uh, I am horrified and sad to report that that child has subsequently passed away. And I cannot report whether, because you know, who I, I don't wanna bother the parent and say, so you know, did this have anything to do with the stem cell that you did? I'm not gonna ask that question, but um, it does, it, for me, you know, raise questions. So perhaps if we could look into that a little bit more, because it's possible that it had absolutely nothing to do with it. I just, but it's the one child that I know that went through stem cell. And I know that the child has subsequently passed away. Uh, That's all I can tell you. Uh, Another person wrote it and said, I'm interested in genetics with autism. I have three children with autism and all of my children have been diagnosed one after the other. Yet they say it's very rare to have more than one child with autism in the family. I don't know who they is that is saying to you, but that is not what I know to be. I was about to confirm that as well, Shannon. Yeah. Um, 
I, I know that uh, at one point uh, we had an expert on who was saying that if you have one child with autism, you are 18 times more likely to have another child with autism. And if you have two children with autism, that number goes up exponentially. But perhaps if, we, if you're interested in looking into that about some more research about that, I will tell you too that, um, you know, for, we, for years, for the all 10 years that we've been on here, of course, I don't know what is making noise. Something is, anyway, uh, can you guys hear it? No. I'm, I'm getting music. Don't hear anything. Oh. Apparently it's playing on my phone. That's I'm like, where, why am I hearing Sweet Jane? My phone has just turned on and is playing Sweet Jane. Okay, now, um, so we've been, you know, obviously we always wanna talk anytime there's research into trying to figure out and hone what the causes of uh, autism are and why in some individuals it's, uh, you know, it's more impactful. Um, and so I will encourage people, the study that I always go back and refer to is the Claire Lajonchet, uh twin study, which was really the first seminal study that showed us that it is, it is both, both absolutely genetics and the environment. Uh, because they, they looked at a whole bunch of twins and they were fraternal twins and non-fraternal twins, some of them raised in the same environment, some of them raised not in the same environment and their prevalence of autism. And it was the largest study of its kind. And it was the one that showed us definitively, it is a combo platter um, of both of these things, that there is a genetic component and there is an environmental component. Um, so I would encourage uh, our viewers to go and look that up. Claire Lajonchet, that was done with Autism Speaks Money as well. Um, but I'm sure that you could find some really cool stuff um, this parent is um, saying that they uh, ha have a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. And I will tell you that there, let's see if I can, there's Cindy Miller does a bunch of studies and there's somebody else about um, parents with autoimmune and the prevalence of if a, if a child is on the autism spectrum, uh, uh, how, I don't know which, which way to say it, but that a in a lot of cases, if a child uh, has an autism spectrum diagnosis, the mother will have an autoimmune disorder. I don't think anybody knows definitively which, you know, the chicken or the egg, what comes first, but it is, uh, there's a large prevalence of those two things going together. So um, that's not unusual at all. Uh, but you, you now have a bunch of interest from a bunch of people on a bunch of different research fronts we'll look to you to figure out what you want to delve into first. There, I mean, gut, gut health and genetics, I could spend however much time you're going to give me, you know, that there's so much out there about both. Um, and especially the genetics with autism, there's a lot about this, this thing called the broad autism phenotype. Have you guys heard of this? No, I don't know that I have. Okay. So the broad autism phenotype is really interesting and it's about, um, you know, you can't just test every single parent and then see if they have a child with autism. That's not how the world works. Um, but you can kind of go backwards and say, okay, you have a child with autism, but the parents don't have a diagnosis. And so what researchers found is that potentially parents um, seem to kind of fit into this phenotype, this kind of, um, um, I'm trying to think of the right word to define phenotype, but um, 
you know, this kind of classification that fits kind of into some of the um, deficits that we see with individuals with autism. So a parent might not have a diagnosis of, of autism, but they might be really, they might be really rigid, right? They might have a hard time taking a different route to work or something like that. Or, you know, they make sure they follow their schedule at, on the weekend. I know, I know, for example, I have family members not on the autism spectrum, but if you try to mess with that schedule on the weekend, that's hard for them, right? So, so and other things like that, um, or, or um, parents who kind of um, feel very, very, uh, identify really with perfectionism, which is kind right. of this rigidness here. So that they- The seen- autism community, in the autism community, we have a saying for that, puppies don't have kittens. Yes. So, so we are like our children. We may not qualify for a diagnosis, but we are more like our children than we are different than our children. Exactly. So th- there's a ton of stuff about that. Um, and it's so interesting. And there's more that I, I one of the articles I was debating about coming on here, um, and I'm very verbose, so I can only ever talk about like one study, because otherwise I'll take your entire time. Um, but what, one of the studies was about um, moms and the broad autism phenotype. Another one actually was about siblings. Um, and was actually about, you know, you, you are more likely to have a child, if you have one child with autism, more likely to have another child with autism, but also there was an interaction with the siblings there. Um, so there's a lot, again, I can talk, I could talk forever about genetics and autism. There's a lot there. There's a lot about, they call them nouveau, um, uh, when you have a novel kind of mutation in your gene and that causes, um, the autism, uh, deficits that you're seeing in your child and there was just a recent article about such cool things going on with that and again can talk about that forever same with gut health so um you know if those parents if those caregivers want anything more specific the genetics for sure i can look at autoimmune and the prevalence and i got a lot of information there um anything with the gut health and the stem cell anything more specific otherwise i can absolutely come on and like I said, I could take a 30 minute segment or like I could take forever on these things. We so. can give you 30 minutes. We absolutely can do that. And we're going to have you back, um, either you or, or Karen Nolte back um, in October. So talk amongst yourselves and decide which one of those topics you want to want to present on. But we can give you 30 minutes. If we just know in advance that you need it, then that's not a problem. If that's okay with you guys, especially with, at least with genetics, there's just so much and it's really dense. A lot of it, a lot of it can be really dense. Um, so I feel like to give it the appropriate attention, um, a little longer is maybe nice, but also. Yeah, we can give you more time. I will tell you though, and, I, and I'd love to hear from the parents, uh, you know, when it gets dense, I get lost. You can see what, by the questions that I ask, I'm like, I want to get enough information so that I can understand the broad brush stroke. Mm-hmm. So that, um, and then sometimes when it's something that I'm particularly interested in, then I want to know more questions. So if you tell us ahead of time, okay, you know, this month we're going to be talking about genetics. We'll put it out on our postcard every week. If you guys subscribe to us, you get your postcard every week and you'll know to have your questions. You can send in questions ahead of time. If you have a specific question about any of these things right now, you can put it in the chat or you can email it to me at s.penrod at autism-live.com and we'll make sure, because sometimes I'm looking at a study and I go, I don't know what this means. Now I have, uh, you know, Leah and Karen and a whole department of research people that I can go to and go decipher this for me. A lot of times I'll send something to Dr. Dixon and I'll go, does this mean this? And and he'll say, no, Shannon. (laughs) 
that's not at all what that means. It's interesting that you would get that from it. Um, but you know, I think it's really helpful. And so we have that, but by extension, you all have that as well. So this was interesting. You know, I can I, I can always get uh, interested in my thing is I want to sit down always with researchers and go, well, here's where I want you to go with this. Mm -hmm. But nobody wants to hear from me. Oh, that's <laughs> not true at all, Shannon. Everyone wants yes. to hear from you. Our whole no, everyone loves you. <laughs> Why, so what, like I want for these researchers to take, a, as you know, Nancy said, a bunch of photographers, but I'd love to take a bunch of paintings and I'll put them through because I'm going to guess that all the great painters, this uh, deep neural network would say, oh, look at these. I think that eventually artistic would equal autistic viewpoint. Interesting. Yeah. Is, is what I think. Yeah. Um, which would be very affirming for a lot of people mm -hmm. in the about um, you know value of looking at somebody else's point of view um, because it's beautiful. Anyway, so fascinating. Thank you so much for being with us. And uh, I want to encourage everybody to write in questions either here or to me at s.penrod at autism-live.com. Thank you. I'm going to get back to you with dates for October, November, and December. Sounds okay. great. Thank, you, Thank yeah. you guys so much. And since I'm Thank on, let's, let's say the next time we'll come on and we'll do genetics. Um, okay. The caregiver who asked about stem cell and gut health, if you don't want to wait two months for us to get to your question, email us with your question. Um, if it's a little bit more specific or, or whatnot, we can always give you kind of larger reviews on both those topics. So I don't want to, you know, have anyone wait two months to get any answers. Um, so, we so we can always also, you know, address that question since next month we'll do genetics. Um, and then either Karen or myself will be on. Um, and thank you guys so much. This is just the thank loveliest you. way to have a Friday. So thank you all so much for having me. We appreciate it. Thank you, Leah. Thank Thanks, Lizzie. Thanks, Shannon. Bye, y'all. I got to say, too, love the painting behind her head. I'm guessing that they would say that that was a person with an autistic <laughs> point of view. Guessing, guessing, don't know for sure. Uh, okay, we don't yeah. have that much time, and we have a yeah. list. We have a lot of interesting in the news that is research-oriented for the most part. It is, and I don't think we're gonna to get to all of it, but can I start with something that I didn't put on the list that relates back to something from last week? Yes, absolutely. So we were talking last week, if you recall, about the little bit of controversy over some goings on in the background of the Big Brother house on CBS. Yeah. And one of the contestants who had previously won on the show was the big you know, half a million dollar winner uh, was Ian excuse me, I'm going to sneeze, um, and that there was a lot of outrage in the house about uh, bullying. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it has not been addressed. We now have watched all this last week. CBS has not addressed it on the live show, which I'm very sad about that they didn't address it. I think that they do need to address it. There has been further outrage in the house. I know I had said last week that I thought that there were very racist and micro a great. Um, racist microaggressions that I was surprised that more people weren't talking about because I, I, even on the live show, what they were playing, I was appalled. Um, now there are petitions to get uh, the person who has been, you know, in the line, in the, you know, the, the person who's made the most egregious uh, statements in the house, there are petitions right now to have him removed from the house. Shannon, just to, um people that haven't watched the show, Ian is on the autism spectrum. Yes. He, the, fir the first season that he was on, he did not disclose that. Right. Uh, but I think that the, most of us who were watching, who, you know, have kiddos on the spectrum, we were like, hmm, 
mm, I think, you know, this young man is part of our tribe. Like, I think we all acknowledge that. Um, and said, you know, some he's somewhere with us, right? But then this time he came back into the house to do the All-Stars. And one of the first things that he did was he disclosed and told everybody. And we, and he, I think the show has let us see more of his behaviors um, that we would identify. This is a brilliant young man. He is super smart, uh, you know, has PhDs in, in math and things like that. Super logical player, uh, has mad skills. He's, you, you know, has the ability to have a social game in the house, but he has some self-stimulatory behaviors that are very prevalent. He does a lot of rocking um, and, and they were making fun of him in the house for that. One person in particular, uh, Memphis is the name of the, the person in the house who uh, was, was mimicking him to a group of the women in the house and they were all laughing. And, and he said, he's like red rum from uh, The Shining and I have nightmares that he's got, you know, and he's weird. And, and then one of the other women said, yeah, he freaks me out. So, you know, and, and that they don't wanna be around him. It was just really not pleasant. Um, now, uh, but now Memphis is being accused of having said some very racist things in the house as well. And CBS is saying that they've listened to the tapes. They don't think what the fans have accused him of saying, but you know, I, I watched it and I went, oh my gosh, to other things that he did, uh, that I thought were wildly inappropriate. And we don't know what the producers have said to the people backstage, whether they have said to them, I'm giving you a cautionary statement. Don't do this anymore. But I'm just saying this guy has multiple things that he's a bully and, um, you know, he's not somebody that I would want my kid locked up in a house with. I'm just going to say that. And I, and I don't think he deserves to win any money. So I'm saying that. But a lot of people are signing petitions. But last night, the reason why I'm bringing this up, last night, um, you know, Ian was voted out of the house in a very fair and equitable way, um, not because he was on the autism spectrum, but he was voted out of the house. And I'm bringing this up because if you are a parent uh, looking for a role model for your kiddos of how to purport yourself, uh, I know I was always looking for this on television when my son was little, James Durbin was on American Idol. And I was always sitting there with him and saying, look, his name is James too, and your name is James. Uh, you have that in common. And look at what a great musician he is. And you're a good singer too. Look what you have in common. Hey, guess what up? James also uh, is diagnosed with autism too. He's like you, isn't that cool? Isn't James cool? Giving him a role model and showing, look, you know, this is someone that you can look at and go, I'm like him and it's a good thing. And I think that Ian is a perfect role model. He uh, carried himself so well through all of it and getting voted out. He was a perfect gentleman left the house and there's a little interview thing that they do uh, at the end with Julie Chen Moonves. And I don't, I don't think that we could have a better role model right now for how to carry yourself. He'd been voted out of the house and he was a good sport about it and said, this was a game. And I, I didn't want to get voted out, but I got voted out. What a privilege to be here. He was the perfect gentleman. And I just want to put that out there because um, there was a lot of stuff that was happening that he was aware of in the house, some that he wasn't aware of, but he was being given a little bit of a hard time and he carried himself really well. And I think he's a great role model. So I just wanted to bring that up.
Um, if you have the opportunity, I'm sure you can find it online to show your kiddos and, and have them watch the tape of Ian. And just like we did with James Durbin and saying, look, there's Ian. Isn't Ian wonderful? Look at how Julie Chen Moonves is saying how wonderful he is. You know, uh, he, he likes math too. And he, you know, and he, he's on the autism spectrum too. I, um, I offer that up. I know that not everybody addresses it that way with their kiddos, but if you're looking to do that, there's your role model. Great. Always good to have good role models for our kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was very sad to see him get voted off, but I'm also glad that he's not in the house with people who are that, that close-minded and, um, and I, you know, I'm, I, I wish they would remove that one person from the house, at least the one person. Uh, other people in the house, the, the one girl has lost her contract with Olay because of, of participating in the conversation when they were making fun of Ian. Uh, and I support Olay in doing that, but I, I really wish CBS would remove the one guy. In any case, I think we probably have time for the first story. Yeah, uh, which is a really interesting study. Isn't it? Isn't yeah. it? Uh, we're talking... Go ahead. Gender, gender diversity. It's the title of the article is largest study to date confirms overlap between autism and gender diversity. Uh, that people who do not identify with the sex they were assigned to at birth are three to six times as likely to be autistic as, do you know how to say this word, Shannon? Is this, it CIS gender? Cisgender. Yeah, cisgender, and I don't, I, I, it's not a term that I know well enough to, to define, but I've heard it before, cisgender. Cisgender are people that uh, identify with the, the gender they were given at birth. Okay. So people who do not identify with the sex they were assigned at birth are three to six times as likely to be autistic as cisgender people are. So it's the largest studied yet to examine the connection between gender diverse people. Um, and so we've been talking about this a lot lately because we had the folks from Spec Labs on uh, with the, the short film that I, if you are a parent who is listening this and going, I did not know this, um, I, I do think as the autism community, we need to be aware of this. And for the parent portion, you know, if you can just imagine already with your child having an autism diagnosis, that there are some ways that their life is going to be harder because of how the outside world is going to look at them. Shouldn't be that way, but that's the reality, right? And if we're going to put on top of that, that they, uh, there's a higher, we were just talking about this with Michael yesterday, there is a higher percentage in the autism community of individuals who are gay, and there are a higher uh, percentage, as we're hearing from this study, who will identify themselves as being a gender different from what they mm -hmm. were identified at as birth. Um, we as parents, I feel like have an obligation to make ourselves aware of this and to be looking out for this in our, in our children to help support them. And I wanna be clear that, um, you know, I, I'm aware of the fact that for some folks that is emotional and hard and may feel different than what you were raised to believe your, ch your children would be. But if we are coming from a place of love and acceptance and loving our children for who they are, which I think is our job as a parent, I think that we, you know, we have many things that we wanna teach our children, but at the very base and heart, 
that, uh, that our journey with our children is to accept who they are and that for every parent, every parent on the planet, that is a challenge. It's why there are movies about it, about, you know, the, the movie Brave is about a mother accepting who her daughter is. You know, we all have to do that. We've, you know, we've seen even, you know, it's the B story and love story that his dad can't accept who he is and, and what he wants to do. All parents struggle with this. But for parents who have kiddos on the autism spectrum, we, we gotta step it up. We have to find our way to communicate with our kids and then accept who they are. That's hard because sometimes we don't know what is, what is that they're, they're displaying who they are based on something is in their way or, or is it truly them? We do ABA to, to take away all of the obstacles so that we can truly see who they are. The great misunderstanding about ABA is that it's gonna make them like everyone else. It's not. It's to help us to reveal who they are. So if they are a painter, that we get to see that. If they are someone who identifies as a girl, even though they were born and identified as a boy, I wanna encourage people, you know, we see statistically this is in our, population, this is more prevalent than other populations. I think we got to get our arms around this, Nancy. Yeah, I agree. What this study does, I think, is it gives the awareness that this is, in fact, um, a situation that we need to be, we need to look at because um, our kids are more likely to identify as transgender, queer, or not of this, the sex they were assigned at birth. So if you see signs of that, um, be tuned into this fact. Yes, and, and we also have to acknowledge that for individuals on the autism spectrum, the incidence, the prevalence of suicidal feelings and suicidal actions is higher than the general population. And in, in the gay community and in the transgender community, um, higher. So, you know, Again, you, you, I, I don't, I, I look to share, right? Share right. had a lot of feelings when chastity became Chaz, uh, you know, and, and share is as open-minded as you can get. And, you know, as, as loving of the gay community, uh, you know, as any celebrity I have ever known, but she had feelings as a mother about mm-hmm. this was my little girl. What are you telling me that this is a boy? I think everybody is entitled to their feelings. You know, I'm not saying don't have feelings about it, but it's still your child and your child needs you and your child is going to go through extra. So own the feelings, deal with the feelings, get help for the feelings, reach out for the feelings. But we have a, we have a, um, I think a, a parental obligation to love our children. And, um, and that means loving who they are, not who we thought they were going to be, who right. we hoped they were going to be, who we planned for them to be. Right. Um, and I, you know, I, lots of challenges for lots of people, yeah. but it's you, hard. I mean, it's hard for parents, you know, first we have to come to the acceptance of our child having autism being on the yes. spectrum. And then in fact, they may have other issues like this one uh, yes. that a parent has to deal with. So not easy stuff, but very important for awareness. But let's meet them where they are. Yes. All right, we—that's uh, all we have time for. Time. But Nancy, I love you. I love you. And I'm you glad too, that Janet. you're here with me. And this was awesome to have this conversation with you. I want to encourage parents. 
we got a big week next week coming up. Um, lots of wonderful guests. And at some point next week, we're, I'm not sure which day, it might be next Friday. Uh, we've got a young woman who's going to come on who is doing uh, a graduate school uh, project. It's research. And we are going to be asking for our families in Southern California to participate. Um, it's a questionnaire and uh, it's a questionnaire. And, and you, I think you're eligible to win uh, a gift card if you participate. So uh, I really am hoping that we can get as many to people to participate as possible. I don't know if I'm allowed to give away what the study is looking at. So I'm gonna, but it's super important, super duper important. And we wanna um, get as many people to participate as possible. So that's one of the highlights of next week. But you know, Bonnie Yates is gonna be here with us on Monday talking about education. If you guys now, I know a lot of us have IEPs and 504s happening or just happened or coming up. If you've got questions, please write those in to me now at s.penrod at autism-live.com because Bonnie's with us on Monday and she'd love to have some questions. Nancy, thanks for being here. Thank uh, you, we're Shannon. Gonna, we're going to be back on Monday. Until then, give your yeah. kiddos a hug from me. And yourselves a hug from me. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for watching Autism Live. To subscribe, click here. And if you'd like to check out some more of our videos, click here.